transported to a higher level of care. The phrase is used a lot in the ambulance patient care reports and causes your billing office some real headaches. In this episode of the QMC EMS Board and Collar podcast, QMC compliance team member Katie Harrison and I will unpack the correct use of the phrase to augment rather than confuse your PCR documentation. I'm Chuck Humphrey, and we're glad you joined us today. Welcome to the QMC Board and Collar, news and thought-provoking discussion for today's emergency medical service professional. The Board and Collar podcast series is brought to you by QuickMed Claims, a national leader in emergency medical transportation revenue cycle management and reimbursement consulting. Now, your host for today's Board and Collar podcast from QMC's business development team, Chuck Humphrey. Well, Kate, welcome to your first ever QMC EMS Board and Collar podcast. It's awesome to have you join to help present on this episode. You recently cranked out a killer blog, which is located on our website with the title, and I quote, transported for higher, emphasis on higher, level of care. Kudos, great topic, and one that I know our listeners are going to learn a lot from for our few minutes here together. How about explaining the phrase you encountered in a recent patient care report sent over to our QMC billing office by one of our ambulance billing clients? Thanks, Chuck. Yeah, we see this all the time, but I never quite get used to it. It reads this way. 72-year-old male with history of CHF being transported to a higher level of care. And was there more? No, that was it. The rest of the PCR had some patient vitals, demographics, origin, and destination information, end of story. While that statement may seem like a straightforward piece of info to add to the PCR, on the billing side of things, that sentence can cause a lot of confusion. Katie, go on. Now, why does that statement cause a lot of confusion for billers and even insurance payers for that matter? Chuck, there just isn't enough detail. Here's the thing. We talk a lot about reasonableness and medical necessity as medical transportation billers. Even if it's obvious the patient meets medical necessity for the ambulance transport, i.e. the patient needs to be under the care of a medical attendant, reasonableness still needs to be met. You know, I knew you were going to key on this because you wrote about this in the blog. So I took a few minutes to look up the word reasonableness and then consulted the Medicare Program Integrity Manual to learn what CMS has to say about it. You know, the word defined has two elements, sound judgment and a sense of fairness and being appropriate. So in the eyes of the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, the definition narrows to vetting if a service provided to a patient for which the Medicare or Medicaid programs are gonna pay out dollars to support has been furnished appropriately to meet the medical needs and conditions of the patient and for which there is no appropriate alternative treatment to maintain the life and health of the patient. Now, the only way that CMS, AKA Medicare, Medicaid, and by extension, typically healthcare insurance payers have of determining reasonableness is to review the circumstances that led to and require that an ambulance be used for transport between two locations. So as such, CMS continually asks the question by auditing and reviewing claims, was this trip reasonable in the eyes of Medicare? The answer then is derived by reviewing the details of the ambulance transport, and for the purpose, they use the only written record of the trip, and that's the PCR. 
So Katie, when we get a PCR like this in our office, there are a number of questions that you described that we have to ask. Can you go over them, please? Sure. For this PCR, I needed to ask a few questions specifically to answer these questions. What higher level of care was needed? Or to put it another way, what treatment was not available at the originating facility? Why did the patient need the treatment? And why did the patient require ambulance transport to move from one location to another? You know, that really makes sense, Katie, because technically only stating the patient needed a quote unquote higher level of care could mean our patients simply had to move to a different floor of the same facility. Not that they had to leave one facility to be transported to another facility, right? You got it, Chuck. We just don't know the circumstances without the details in the PCR. So in the end, it all comes down to money for us because we're billers. And Medicare will only cover ambulance transportation between facilities if we can describe in detail why the patient required an ambulance to move from one facility to another. And only if that trip meets reasonableness when a treatment's not available at one facility, requiring the patient to be transported to the next facility where it is required. But Katie, can't you just look up what services are available on the internet? You mean Google doesn't know that? Well, we can look up what facilities do, but rarely, if at all, can we find what individual treatments are provided. The internet may say that a hospital specializes in cardiac, but may not say that they offer cardiac, cardiac catheterization. Oh, I got it. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Cause I was thinking you'd just look it up. Um, so Katie, let's land this discussion and help our listeners understand how this PCR could have been written so much better. What are some examples of how to say what we think the author crew member wished to say? Actually, it isn't that difficult. With just a slight tweak and a few additional words, the PCR could tell the story. For example, 72-year-old male with history of CHF being transported for LVAD placement not available at sending facility, or 72-year-old male with a history of CHF being transported for evaluation of the patient's previous heart transplant. The lack of that small piece of information can cause delays in insurance payments. As a biller, I've had to request medical records from both the sending and receiving hospitals to try to determine what services the patient needed. And even though HIPAA allows for the sharing of information for payment purposes, it can be difficult to get those records. I've seen it take months before we received a response from one of the hospitals. There have even been times we've never received the information. The longer we have to wait for the records, the longer it takes for the claim to process, and the longer it takes for you all to be reimbursed for the critical services you provide to your patients. I've been on the follow-up side too, which is justifying the service after the claim was sent to the insurance. In those cases, we have even less time to submit the appeal to try to get the claim paid. On an appeal, our job is to make the insurance company understand that yes, the service was both medically necessary and reasonable. Without knowing the services the patient needed, that isn't the easiest thing to do. Boy, Katie, that's some great insight. Thanks so much for bringing that to light. And you know what? Even this old EMS guy can put a couple extra words on my next PCR. Um, Katie, thanks so much for calling attention to this important topic. I think our podcast listeners will take away some really valuable insight into our billing world 
and hopefully focus on providing us more detail in the patient care reports that they write from here on in. Uh, I got to tell you, it's been great having you on this podcast. Let's do it again sometime, okay? Absolutely. All right, and folks, there you have it. So like we say all the time, it's details, details, details. Thanks for joining us for another QMC EMS Board and Collar podcast. And don't forget, there are about another 160 episodes out there for downloading. Check us out on Podbean or the podcast channel of your choice by searching the QMC EMS Board and Collar. And that's a wrap. But until we get together again, always remember, hey, be safe safe out out there.